0: Thank you so much, everyone, for coming. Let me have a quick drink. I think this is the, probably the biggest turnout I've had here this year. Um, I think the most we had, I had about uh, 250 online and about 20 people, maybe 15 people here. So still, great turnout. Thank you so much. Some of you will know me, some of you won't. Um, so tonight we're talking about ghost ships, smugglers, and monsters. And I have uh, some stories that go along with that, all based around the Isle of Wight. So let me... Uh, so a little introduction. Uh, my name's Paul Wilson. Uh, I'm a, Academically, I'm a historian. Or an historian, and uh, but um, I spend most of my time studying folklore these days. Uh, my uh, PhD was in early medieval studies, um, and the Germanic tribes of Britain and their transition from pre-Christian into uh, Christian, the Christian world, uh, and from that. I branched out into folklore. I specialize in telling stories about the island, telling folklore from the island. Uh, my family, uh, also they say, can trace their lineage back to year dot, but then again, most of my family were liars and thieves. <laughs> Take that as you will. But that's, isn't that the core of a good storyteller, right? So, um, uh, my great-grandmother, sorry, I'm not being rude and looking at this. I'm just looking up my, getting my pages together here because uh, stupidly I didn't print anything out. Um, there we go. Uh, my great-grandmothers uh, lived in Ryde. They lived in a little cottage, a little townhouse in uh, Bedworth Place, which is basically across the road from uh, the church there, uh, the Catholic church there. When my father used to talk to us, about how he used to have to walk through the snow. No sympathy for his parents to go to school. We used to think you have to walk miles. No, he just walked down a laneway straight across the road. So even my father was a bit of a, told a few porky pies in his time. Anyway, my great grandmothers, they were great storytellers and they told me lots and lots of stories about the island, Uh, oral traditions that sadly are starting to wane or have been waning for a long time. If you mentioned to them Queen Victoria, both of them would spit on the ground because to them, she was what destroyed the Isle of Wight and the Isle of Wight as a sovereign nation as they saw it. Obviously, she was long before they were born, but I'll let them have it. So that's me. That's my uh, background. Uh, I, run, I run these story, storytelling evenings uh, once a month, the four, fourth Wednesday of every month. So they're free, totally free. Come along. Uh, different topics every month. And on the first, uh, if you're interested in something a little bit more woo, a little bit more magical, then join me on the first Mondays. Sorry, first Wednesdays, where I talk about gods and goddesses and. All sorts of uh, esoteric stuff. Anyway, tonight we're going to talk about ghost ships and monsters and uh, and all that sort of stuff. So we've got a few stories. We've got the Crow's Curse we're going to talk about. We've got the Mermaid's Lament. It's the Smuggler's Betrayal. The St. Marie. And the last one, if you can see there, I, I should... I should have worn my normal glasses, so if I put my sunglasses on, it's only because they got a prescription and I didn't bring my normal glasses. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the HMS Udith. Okay, and then last one, we'll have some questions at the end. So let's, uh, I thought I'd start off with a little poem by Rudyard Kipling. If you wake at midnight and hear a horse's feet, Don't go drawing back the blind or looking in the street. Them that ask no questions isn't told a lie. Watch the wall, my darling, while the gentlemen go by. Five and twenty ponies, throttled through the dark, Brandy for the parson, baccy for the clerk. Laces for a lady, letters for a spy. Watch the wall, my darling, While the gentlemen go by, Running around the wood lump, If you chance to find Little barrels, ropes and tarred, All full of brandy wine, Don't you shout to come and look, Nor use them for play. Put the brickish wood back, And they'll be gone the next day. For you see the stable door, Setting wide open wide. If you see a tired horse lying down inside, If your mother mends a coat cut above and tore, If the lining's wet and warm, don't ask no more. If you meet King George's men dressed in blue and red, You be careful what you say and mindful what is said. If If they call you pretty maid and chuck you neath the chin, don't you tell where no one is, nor yet where no one's been. Knocks and footsteps round the house, whistles after dark. You're no call for running out till the horse dogs bark. Trusty here and pinches their hair, and see how dumb they lie. They don't fret to follow when the gentlemen go by. If you do as you've been told, likely there's a chance you'll be give a dainty doll all the way from beautiful France with a cap, a valentiae and a valet hood, a present from the gentleman, a long ear being good, five and 20 ponies throttling through the dark Brandy for the parson, backy for the clerk, them that asks no questions, isn't told a lie. Watch the wall, my darling, as the gentlemen go by. And I think that, for me, describes the romance of the, the smugglers. And a lot of people think it's all about uh, swashbuckling uh, pirates, right? But they were just cutthroats. They weren't very nice, but the smugglers, they were in it for the money, but also for the little guy. So we'll move on. Oh, I forgot to go. This is the introduction. This is the, <laughs> the poem that I just read you. So on to the first story The Crow's Curse. So the old fishermen and sailors and smugglers of the Isle of Wight would never set sail if a crow had rested upon the bow of their boat. And this uh, tradition or this superstition uh, was widely believed right up until probably the present day. An ill wind is said to blow and those that venture forth ever return alive which should be never turn alive, return alive. So say that when their bodies are recovered, their eyes are gone and their bodies are abound by scratches. And here's the story why. Once upon a time, a fisherman came to his boat to find a crow sitting on the bow. The fisherman, eager to get out and check his crab and lobster pots, tried to get the crow to leave, but it would not. The fisherman, losing his patience, picked up his paddles and uh, shooed the crow, then picked up pebbles and threw them at the bird, hoping to scare it away. Instead, the crow turned to the man and said, Sir, why do you throw those stones at me? Am I in any way hurting you or stopping you from your starting the day? The fisherman replied to the bird, crow, I fear uh, you will eat my catch if you stay. So go now, the sea is no place for you. Leave in peace. The crow simply walked along the side of the boat and came closer to the man. And then he said, I propose a game of chance with you. If you win, I'll leave and never return. If I win, then you let me travel with you and share a small portion of your catch with me every day." The man, contemplating the terms of the, 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 of the game for a moment, and not wanting to be outwitted by a bird, asked, this game, what are the rules, will it be cards, will it be dice? What sort of game of chance can a bird play? I propose a simple one. You pick a stone from the beach and mark one side with ink. I will then fly with it and drop it on the deck of the boat. And if the ink side shows, then you have one, replied the bird. The man thought of this proposition and thought it was fair and agreed to the terms. He walked down the beach and saw a thin piece of chalk in the sand. He picked it up and formulated a plan to rid himself of this bird. He brought the stone back and poured ink onto one side of the chalk, making sure he used more than the normal amount. The man, knowing the properties of chalk and the thinness of the rock, calculated that the ink would seep through and thus enable him to be sure that he would win. After some time, he turned to the bird and said, open your beak, crow, and let me put the stone in and you can fly above me and drop it. The bird did as he was asked and suspected nothing. The crow then flew above the fisherman's boat and dropped the stone onto the deck where it landed ink-side up, just as the man had planned. Oh, I'm sorry, crow. It appears you have lost. Be off with you. The crow, having, a keen, having keen eyesight and in an insight into the nature of men, watched carefully as the stone had fallen and had noticed the fisherman's ruse, but said nothing. The crow simply said, it seems you have bested me, fisherman. May your day be fruitful and nothing ill before you. And with that flew away. The fisherman set sail and checked his lobster pots and crab traps, then put out his net for the daily catch. Some hours passed and the clouds grew dark and angry. The temperature dropped and the sea started to grow quite choppy. Then out of nowhere the crow appeared, squawking in rage. He pecked the man, pecked directly in his eyes as to blind him. As the fisherman battered and bleeding from his eyes fell back, back, he heard the crow say, "You cheated me, fisherman. You broke our agreement. So this and this day from this day forth" I curse you and those that come after you. If any sailor sees one of my kind on their boats before the setting sail, then doom will be upon them and they will never return to the land safely. And with those words, the crow landed on the fisherman's skull, claws embedded in the skin, pecked his eyes until he fell overboard and drowned, never to be heard from again. And that is probably why we should be nice to the crows, right? So that's the, the, the crow's curse. So this is uh, the story that I was told as a child. Um, and uh, this actually was a, uh, a belief of the fishermen. They actually did believe that if a crow was on the bow of the boat, they would not go out. There is actually a couple of records <laughs> of uh, a few fishermen uh, who refused to go out. And when their masters came down, they were beaten, but they refused to go out because a crow had landed on the bow of their boat. And I don't blame them, to be honest. On to our next one. The mermaid's lament. So, tales of mermaids have been around for centuries, sometimes seen as sirens and the harbingers of death to those that sail the seas. The cunning fold and storytellers of the island talk of a group that once lived at the needles, cold of skin, blood of ice, and a heart that was just frozen. This tale reminds us that just because your heart is cold doesn't mean it will always be that way. So this is quite an old story. This, uh, again, was told to me by uh, one of my grandmothers. Um, she insists it was absolutely true. Who am I to question it, right? Contrary to popular belief, mermaids are not creatures of beauty. Or well, not, on the inside at least. Mermaids have hearts as cold as the sea water they swim in. Their blood as icy as the ocean depths. They do not live by the same codes of you and I, and they do not have a morality that will, or could, we could even understand. Some say that mermaids enjoy causing destruction. That's not the case at all. The reality is, reality is, they don't care. They're incapable of caring. Because of this lack of any feeling, you cannot bargain with a mermaid, you cannot befriend a mermaid, and you cannot ever, ever, ever trust a mermaid. I'm just gonna check that uh, sun. I think I might open this again if that's okay. Is that all right now, guys? Yeah, good. Whew, it's getting hot in here, ain't it? There was once a young elfin prince who decided to go on an adventure. He found himself a boat and set sail across the ocean. He sailed to so many lands and walked amongst humanity, enjoying the color and the excitement. But after several years, he felt he had seen everything. One evening while sitting at the seaport, he heard speak of mermaids and that their beauty was beyond imagine. He inquired where he might find these creatures. But instead of getting the answer he wanted, he was presented with a dire warning. Don't be, speak, don't be seeking out these mermaids, young lad. They kill ye as soon as they see ye, without care or worry neither. Young Prince, being a creature of magic himself, was sure that he would be fine, and pressed the old sea dog until the man finally gave in. Sail due south from here, boy, until ye come to the diamond oil of white, where by the great needles you will find him. But be warned, do not be seen, for they do not take kindly at being seen. And so the young elfin prince once again set sail. After a few days, he saw the island and prepared himself for his next adventure. He decided to conjure up some magic light and stand up and reveal that he was a magical brethren. He sailed around until he saw the white pillars of chalk, the needles. He held fast and called out, mermaids, come out. I am a magical creature and I mean you no harm. I just want to see you and maybe we can speak. We are kin. The the mermaids that swam in the region had no intention of showing themselves. This bothersome creature wouldn't go away soon. They were sure. For seven days and seven nights, the Elfin Prince held his magical light aloft and called to them each time explaining he meant them no harm and just wanted to meet them before going back to his fairy land. As the eighth day started to dawn, one of the mermaids, with skin that glittered green and a face that was the envy of the others of her kind, had had enough. She swam to the surface and called out to the boy. We are here, sir. Come and find us. She splashed her tail and dove under the water. The prince set sail and went towards the voice, but now the voice was behind him. We are here, sir. Come and find us. The mermaid called. All day this happened and slowly the mermaid edged closer to the boat, closer and closer. And as she did, she pushed the boat closer and closer to the rocks. Finally, when the boat was close enough, the mermaid jumped out of the water and pushed the boat so hard and as hard as she could, and smashed it into pieces against the sharp outcrop of rocks. The boy floundered in the sea. And was then pulled down by the mermaid and held under water until he drowned. As this was happening, the crows that nested nearby spied what had been happening and flew directly to the father of the Elfin Prince. In a furious rage, the Elfin King made his way to where the mermaids lived and using the description from the crow, he sat in wait for the mermaids to surface once again. And like his son, the King had a had a cunning that only came with age. He sat quietly, not making a sound until finally the mermaids came out to play. The king turned himself into a seal and he swam out to see the mermaids. He swam around them and listened to them chattering, eventually heard the information that he was waiting for and grabbed the mermaid who had killed his son. He dragged her onto the beach where she thrashed about in the sand. Eventually she tired herself out And as her skin started to dry, the king transformed himself back to his true form. I am the king. And I am after the person who killed the elfin prince. And I believe you pulled him to his doom. I'm here to avenge his death. The mermaid just cackled and said, let me die then, I don't care. Leave me here to bake in the sun, cut off my head and feed it to the fish. you get no satisfaction from me as I have no remorse. I'd do it again in an instant if I could. You are right, he said. That then shall be your punishment, the king replied. As of now, I curse you. I curse your blood to run warm, your heart to beat with heat and a conscience you shall have. And with that, he worked his curse upon her and pushed her back into the sea. And in that instant, every deed, every death, every sin against humanity came back to the mermaid. Her body filled with the the same grief over and over and forevermore. She had to suffer the guilt of her own actions. Her sisters shunned her. She was pushed from her home and forever to swim the waters of the world, but never finding peace or forgiveness again. And as I say, I'm sure that this is a true story. And the crows wouldn't lie, would they? The smuggler's betrayal. So this story, I'm going to put this down because uh, this one I'm going to tell you from memory. Again, I was going to put my glass on. They say there is honour amongst thieves. That isn't always the case. Just up from Freshwater Bay, there is a place called Afton. The spring head of the eastern Australia, the western Yar, you idiot, Wilson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a strange place, close to holidaymakers, but far enough to hide ghosts of not only those who have betrayed, but those who did the betraying. So this is the story of smugglers from that part of the world. Who has seen the smugglers' caves in uh, Freshwater Bay? No, do you know of them? There's one at the back. Yeah, there are a whole series of caves there, and uh, that's where the smugglers would come in. Quite often, they would swim round the opposite way of the island and come come into Freshwater Bay to try and elude the sheriffs and the law. Uh, sometimes that would be a dropping off point for other smugglers who came from the other parts of the island to come and pick up barrels and things and take them to other parts but there was one central cave and there was one smuggler who fancied himself the king of this cave this was his place and uh, he He made sure that anything that came through, that the people of around Afton and that area, if there was anything that they needed, he made sure that he'd keep a little bit for them. Of course, he'd skim a little bit off the top for himself, but he was seen as a gentleman. He was seen as someone who looked after his fellow men. But he was starting to get old age was starting to show. He wasn't as uh, quick off the, the mark as he used to be. So he decided to take an apprentice, a young chap from that part of the world who'd shown a rather keen interest in smuggling. So he set the boy off to join one of the smugglers' ships. And he said, when you come back in four years' time, we'll then talk about you transitioning into running the tunnels. Four years' time came. The young boy was now a man, a uh, sea-hardened man, He'd, and he knew the smuggling business back to front. And sure enough, our old friend, the king of the smuggler's caves, welcomed him back and embraced him And he said to the young boy, or the young man now, he said, right, we'll start your training and maybe in four or five years, when I retire, this all can be yours. And the the young boy said, that sounds all right, but he was keen and he was was jealous and he was also, uh, he wanted everything now. But he did as the king said and then he noticed that the old man would skim a little bit off for himself and the old man would stupidly take things and give them to people for free. So the young man said to the old man, he said, why are you doing that? That's our profit. You could give me some more if we didn't give that to the poor people. Then what are you doing, mate? And the king said, look, these are our family, these are our friends. But apart from that, even if they weren't, if we keep them happy, they will look after us. But not only that, it's the right thing to do. Well, the young man thought to himself, it has got to kind of see the logic of that, but I want a little bit more. So he said to the king, he said, look, I'd like to have a bit more duty if I mean, you know, I've been here a while now, I've done my time on the ships, give me a little bit more responsibility. So the old man said, no, okay, no problem. One night a week, you can run the, you can run the tunnels. And the young boy did, the young man did. And of course, young man skimmed off some for himself, but instead of keeping something for the people, he skimmed that and sold it off. And when the, when the king came down the next day, he said, right, well, let's take the things out. to so the people said, there wasn't enough. It came in short. We think there must have been a raid, okay? But this happened over and over and over. Finally, the king had had enough. He said to the, he said to the young, boy, young man, he said, I know what you're doing and it has to stop. If it doesn't stop, I might seem like a pleasant old man, but I know where all the bar- bodies are buried because I put them there. The young man was having none of that. And so the next night that was his to run the, run the caves, he called the authorities, told them where the old man was and said, he called the authorities and said, for immunity, and if you leave me alone, I will give you a little bit, but then I will also tell you where the king is. And they caught him and they took him and they took him above the cliffs, tied a rope around his neck and threw him off and hung and hanged him. That's not the end of the story. Because the people around Afton, they have a long memory. And they remember the good that the king had done. And they knew who'd sold him out. So the next night, they formed a party and they lighted candles and went from door to door and all the able-bodied men came together and crept down to the seaside, extinguished the candles and waited. They saw the beacon out in the sea, they saw the beacon from the new king, the young man, and they waited, and they waited. And When the transaction was finished, they didn't do anything except they had a word to the smugglers, and they told them what he had done. They t- lighted their candles, And they went back. The next night, the beacon went off in the distance. The new king's beacon went off. The smugglers came ashore. But they didn't come with any barrels of wine or any fine linens. They came with cutlasses and cudgels. And they chased the new king. And the new king was off. And who knows what Afton is like? It's a swamp, right? Straight into the swamp he ran, thinking that he knew the area better than them. But they weren't idiots. They'd been smuggling for years. They knew the area better than he thought they did. And they also knew that sound travels. You can stand at one end where the The yah starts and you can yell and it will travel all the way up. And anyone that hears that will have no idea where you are. So they called out as they were running after him and he ran and he ran. And they kept calling and calling. And Because the smugglers had to come in at low tide because at high tide, the water would fill the caves. The young king had run out into the mudflats, but as he had and as they called, the tides slowly came in, until finally he found himself trapped. He called out for help, as the water came up higher and higher and higher, and the smugglers said all they could hear was him yelling until they couldn't, until they could hear the gurgling sounds, and then there was nothing. And to this day, they say, that on certain nights, when the tide is high, and if you stand on the, one of the roads around Afton, You can hear someone calling and calling until you hear the gurgling, and then you don't. And that is the smuggler's betrayal. So smuggling was a big part of the Isle of Wight. Does anyone know why? Anyone know why the Isle of Wight was synonymous with smuggling? I'll put it this way. Someone once described the Isle of Wight as the arse end of humanity where Satan wouldn't even go to defecate. So it was seen as a pretty desolate place, a wild place. In fact, most people didn't realise there were even people on the west or the south of the island. They thought, really, there was probably a few people in, in Ride, maybe a few more in Cowes and some in Newport, which made it perfect for our smuggling friends. It was not only a place that uh, the smugglers would bring in goods to people on the island, as I said, it was also a stopping-off point. People would bring things in from the uh, from the mainland, stolen items, obviously, and drop them off here. They would then be trudged across the island to a place. Uh, which we now call East Cowes. But what was is a place called uh, Mead Head or Mead Cove, Cove where uh, basically smuggler, smuggler ships would hide away in there and then in the dead of night, straight across the Solent. Newport, Cowes, Ride were the places of cutthroats. It was a dire place if you didn't know or weren't an islander. Go for a walk there now at night in some of the older parts of towns and you can almost smell what it was like. You can see it. But smuggling wasn't only about goods, it was also people. And uh, there was a a fair trade in human trafficking back in the day. And there's a story. Let me just check the time before we go any further. Be good if I kept my uh, phone with me, wouldn't it? What time is it? Ah, okay. So there was a story about some human traffickers. It's a very quick story. And the story goes that they had a ship full of fair maidens from who knows where. And the ship sank. Now, they say that you can actually, uh, if you're round the west of the island and you're out on a boat at night, you can come across this ship all people that were trafficked are gone. All that is left are the people smugglers. And they say that unless you can come up with the right type of trade, they will try to take you and capsize your boat. But there's an easy way to fool them because they're nothing but shades. So they will take their payment in seaweed. So the story goes... The old sailors would keep a stock of seaweed if they were going out at night, just in case they came across the people smugglers, and they would pay them the seaweed, and the spectres would go. OK, so we've got a couple of little more smallish stories. Uh, so oh, where's my mouse pointer? There it is. Okay. The St. Marie, who knows St. Catherine's Oratory? We all know St. Catherine's Oratory. We all know the story, do we not? Yes? So the story is, here. On the 20th of April, 1313, St. Marie of Boyon was wrecked off the coast of Chale. Lord Walter, the Godderton sent his men down to collect all the goods and bring them back to his stores. He was later found guilty of plundering the wine as, he had not, as it had not made its way to the shore and past the tide line when taken. If it had done that, then it was fined his keepers. But, uh, so he was then uh, fined and then he was also tried by the ecclesiastical courts and told he had to make. St. Catherine's Oratory. This is not his story. This is about the St. Marie. So, the St. Marie was a trading vessel filled with wine from France and Italy. And it got blown off course and found itself round near Chale. Uh, being completely lost. And being one of these very muggy days like today, the great clouds that billow in, who's seen those clouds that billow in over the island? Uh, Those clouds rolled in, and the boat crashed into the rocks and sunk. Everyone was killed. Or so they say. One story says that half the crew made their way to the, to the land. This is where the story gets a little bit more interesting. Lord Walter de his men said, the crew, the crew are still alive. What do we do? He sent them down to slit their throats. Every single one of them. They went down and they did this and buried them into the, in the sand. I don't know why they buried them in the sand, because as soon as the tide came in and then washed it away, the bodies ended up in the sea. The stench was said to be overwhelming as the bodies bobbed and wouldn't leave the coastline. And every night, Lord Walter had dreams of the people that he'd had murdered. And they say, to this day, that people who move to jail are sometimes hounded by the most dreadful dreams of bodies bobbing in the sea. I know two people who've moved from the mainland to Chale, who have come and said, "I've had the most awful nightmares recently, and they won't go away until people make their way up to the oratory and pay their respects to Saint Catherine of the Wheel." And that's the story of the Saint Marie. And lastly, who has heard of this ship? Yes, we all know this story. I thought I'd end on this one. I thought everyone kind of knows this story, but those that don't. HMS. 24th of March, 1878. It was a 26-gun, 921-tonne frigate. was on its way back to Portsmouth when it hit extreme weather passing Ventnor. The ship sank, claiming over 300 lives, with only four people making it ashore to tell the story. That's not the end of the story. This ship and this picture here is is said to be the actual ship, an actual photograph that was taken of the ship from a television program that was here doing a documentary. Out of nowhere, it appeared. And you can see it on the, the tape. Out of nowhere, it appears, and out of nowhere, it goes. Members of the royal family have been said, uh, Prince Edward has said that he has seen it. I know people who have said this, who have asked me about it. My own son claims to have seen it. And he, knows no, he knew nothing of this. And he was only five at the time. So it's said to be seen. And in Sandown Bay, comes out of nowhere, goes back into nowhere. It's actually on days like today that people see it. Again, with the cloud and the fog coming in. Sometimes people hear the guns going off, signalling their distress. People have even seen the four remaining men crawling up forlorn, distraught, and broken, after losing every single one of their crewmates. I've not seen it myself. As I said, I know people who say they have. But I think I've heard the guns. And you just hear them off in the distance. A slow, quiet rumble. and nothing out there. A submarine out in manoeuvres is said to have had to have changed course because out of nowhere, the hull of this boat was suddenly in sight. This is a a Royal Navy officer who said that. Uh, Chartered boats, luxury yachts, Many people have had to change course because of this boat. They also say that on some nights you can still hear 300 men calling, calling out in vain as the boat, as the ship goes down, hear the creaking, the sickening crack as the ship breaks into and sinks So, that is our most famous, I think, of all the ghost ships. So, thank you very much for coming. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. Does anyone have any questions? Can I ask about St. Catherine? Yes. St. Catherine pops up a lot. I mean, we've got her oratory, we've got St. Catherine's Lighthouse, St. Catherine's Church, St. Catherine's Road. Why St. Catherine in the Isle of Wight? And is it Catherine of Siena? Catherine of the Wheel. Yes. Catherine of the Wheel, as my dad would call her. Um, It's a really good question. Uh, There's some debate over it. Uh, Some people believe that uh, St Catherine's Oratory was named after St Catherine because it was to be built on... um, Uh, St Catherine's Mount, there is um, St Catherine's Spring there as well, Uh, there is the story that um, one of the great treasures of the Isle of Wight was buried there, which is the Wheel of Fortune. So there could be a linkage there. It could well be just because the uh, ship is said to have been owned by um, uh, a nunnery that was devoted to St Catherine. There's no evidence of that. It, it's, it's one of these strange things that seems that the, the island has latched onto. It's like um, there, was a, there was a great devotion to uh, St Mary of Antioch for many years on the island for no apparent reason. Um, it could be that people just really liked her, you know, they, they, just, they just thought she was pretty great. <laughs> she was an all right saint, yeah, I have to say. Any other questions? Comments? Fascinating. Sorry? Fascinating. Oh, fascinating, thank you. <laughs> um, uh, any, any observations, anything anyone would like to know, even if it's not on this topic? Yes. What's that story? Uh, that's the, the the weeping mermaid is the same as the uh, mermaid's lament. Uh, yeah. Um, she was the first mermaid to cry, or so they say. So why the mermaid opposite the squadron in cows? Uh, I think from what i remember it was just that people liked uh, the person who was commissioned to do it was uh, oh no i do remember it was because of a um a a yacht club and their um and the person that owned it uh th- had made the yacht club's emblem a a mermaid and he was uh, extremely rich and financed the mermaid there was no uh but you never know, he might have been influenced by our friend, the, uh, the, the mermaid with a heart. Sometimes the, the truth is, is far less interesting than not knowing, right? <laughs> Any other questions? Speak now or forever hold your peace. <laughs> Stories of ghosts at Are they true? So, this is what I say. <laughs> Either everything is true or nothing is true. Which way do I lean? I like a good story. I lean on the, I'll take a beautiful lie... Over the boring truth any day. But I'm not going to say which is a lie and which is true. Any other questions? I haven't got my glass on, so if anyone's putting their hands up, I can't see. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. What a lovely turnout! Thank you and I really hope you enjoyed yourselves.